0: I'm Nancy Adair, the host of LTGW, where we explore the stories from the dark and the light side of both addiction and recovery. Our show is currently free to listen to, and it's advertisement-free, therefore we're relying on your support to keep bringing you these powerful stories.
1: suppose we'll hear stories about addiction? We might. Oh. Stories about recovery, too? Mm. But mostly stories about how addiction turns smart, sensitive people into liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores.
0: Liars?
1: And thieves? And gluttons and whores.
0: Oh, liars, liars,
1: thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my.
0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. You are on the air with me, Nancy Adair, and this is Liars, Thieves, Gluttons, and Whores, the show that brings you stories from both the dark side and the light side of addiction and recovery. I'm here today again with my regular guest and co-host, my brother, Bob. And today I was hoping that we could talk a bit about humor because it really is the reason why, A, that I'm doing the show, and B, that I've brought Bob on to co-host with me as often as he's willing. <laughs> um, so, welcome, Bob.
1: Well, first of all, I resent being called a liar, thief, glutton, and a whore, okay?
0: Really, I thought <clears throat> you were yeah. with all of those. Pardon? I said, I thought you identified with all of those.
1: I do, but it's not something that I want out into the public. Like this is like being recorded and going out into the world and stuff. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's a very private thing. I can't believe that you're calling me that and you're calling every addict that
0: And know? I'm calling we're myself. Not,
1: we're <laughs> not, I know I'm calling yourself. We're not going to have any audience at all. Okay. By the time you're through, they're just all going to be hating you and hating me. And I didn't have anything to do with that title. I just want to put that out there, okay? If, if if this was my show only, I would have said addicts are just wonderful, beautiful people, okay? And they should be left alone. What do you think? Yeah,
0: I, I think that show would have no audience (laughs) (laughs) and so far the response to liars thieves gluttons and whores has been like wow great show title
1: okay well we'll see right yeah we'll see who's right
0: you know it was wild too it's like that show title came to me years ago in the form of i want to write a book and title it liars thieves gluttons and that's a lot of work it's a lot of work a lot more work than
1: this is a lot of work i mean i can tell this is a lot of work just by watching you i don't do anything but it's a lot of work you know what you're doing yeah yeah it has been so okay let's assume that we're all liars thieves gluttons and whores oh my god i i almost had some self-esteem there for a minute now you're taking it all away but why the idea? Where did this come from? And why don't you talk about that and try to make it funny because you said this is a show about humor, okay?
0: Yeah. Whenever I try to make it funny, that's when they really goes out the window.
1: Yeah, both of us. That's yeah. this, this show is like dead, right? <laughs> I told you, you can't talk about humor.
0: Okay, no. go ahead. For the five people that are watching. Or
1: exactly. They're not watching it anyway. They're listening. I don't know where, and where are they even listening to this? Uh, probably at work, and they're going to get fired, and they're going to blame us and everything else, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. The idea came from uh, some form of 12-step literature where they said all addicts are mostly liars, yes. thieves, horse and horses yes and i don't honestly know what part of the literature was that the that was the big
1: book that was the big book but but that was back in the 30s and 40s and whatever and they had guilt about everything back then okay and they had shame and guilt and just felt terrible about themselves and you know that's why they called themselves alcoholics and addicts and now, you know, now it's a much kind, now you get a participation trophy, okay, if you're an alcoholic or an addict, you know, it's not, and now they want to screen everybody for mental illness, okay, like the entire country is going to be screened for mental illness, okay, it's a much kinder, gentler thing than what you're doing here. This was back, yeah, it was the big book, I'm pretty sure.
0: But I can't find it anywhere in the big book.
1: Well, if I could find my big book, I could find, <laughs> I seriously, I got a big book around here somewhere, I think. I so, told, okay. you know, It's been a long time, I've been sober a long time, I've lost several big books, I've, you know, lost my, my mind altogether, and my memory and everything, so.
0: Well, so not only have you been sober 45 years, but you've been around longer.
1: Yes, I started when I was about nineteen or twenty in New York, and and it was. I still remember, even though I can't remember anything these days, with my memory. It's you know the, the good part is that I can hide my own Easter eggs. Okay, <laughs> but um, I remember the speaker was an airline pilot. Okay, and. He flew like these big-ass jets, all right, you know, across the pond or whatever. And um, and when he did that, he was drinking and drunk. And they didn't, back in that, you know, this is so long ago that they didn't have any testing for pilots or anything else. And I was like, I was horrified, you know. All I did was, like, drive, you know. Um, oh,
0: all you
1: did was drive drunk <laughs> all the time, every Friday, but um, you know, he was, yeah, well, it wasn't driving drunk was nothing back then. And it was, uh, it was actually expected if you were a teenager and well, at least I expected it and compared to flying a plane with 150 or 200 passengers. And that's what this guy did. And that was my introduction to AA. I was like, wow, okay.
0: Yeah, I remember, so I worked at a hosp- a rehab within a hospital for 13 years. And it did frighten me to think about, I, you know, and I drove drunk lots of times as a teenager. And in fact, I thought that was kind of a funny thing or a thing to be proud of. Like I got home and I don't even remember how I got home, but I was the one driving, like, ugh. um. At the hospital, I'd hear about, I'd work with pilots and nurses and doctors and, you know, Indian chiefs, like all the, <laughs> all the people that are out there with our lives in their hands and they're drunk.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's really scary if you're talking about a surgeon. Yeah. Like, whoops, oops, I didn't mean to make, oh, shit, I cut out that guy's heart by accident. You know?
0: And it was one of the things that really got me started with the whole idea of a podcast with funny stories is that these stories that the patients were sharing that I couldn't share publicly because of confidentiality were just hysterical, you know? And it reminded me of early days in recovery in the halls of AA. There were people talking about, um, oh, one guy that knew he always um, blacked out when drinking and found himself at a Holiday Inn.
1: That was me. That was you? (laughs) That was me. Seriously. I would put on my suit, which is really weird, to go to the bar on Columbus Avenue in New York, all right, because I wanted to feel above everyone else. So I mean nobody had a suit on when they went out to the you know seedy west side bar okay, and I would start drinking. I would drink martinis. I mean what an asshole okay, and I mean see I'm really embracing your low self esteem thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I drank and then after a few well, or quite a few drinks I wound up in Connecticut where we you know where we lived for quite a while and in Norwalk at the Holiday Inn but not just at the Holiday Inn I was in the hallway at the Holiday Inn face down uh in my suit all right and had no idea how I made it that's like an hour away from Manhattan okay and somehow I went from Manhattan to Connecticut to the Holiday Inn in my suit and it was like that that stuff i mean it's it is funny and it's also when it's happening to you you just after a while you kind of push it down out of your memory because it is so horrifying that you have no remembrance of any of that stuff you know
0: yeah none of it is funny when we're living it
1: right right
0: you know and and that's what when i so i heard this guy in a talk about always ending up at the Holiday Inn in Portland, Maine, where I continue to live, and um, and he said one day he woke up in the Holiday Inn. He could tell because of the little um, notepads they leave by the Bible in the in the <laughs> you know in the side table. Mm-hmm. And um, he, although he opened the curtains and he saw palm trees. So, this guy in a blackout had gotten on an airplane and gone to Florida in, and woke up in a holiday inn that was, you know, in another part of the country. What was it like when you first got sober? Did, did the laughter in AA compel you to stay in meetings?
1: Yes, I mean, laughter, good humor, good attitude, um, lots of fun. And you have to remember that it was back in the 1800s, right? So it was like, um, also the the fact that people were really rich. So they had, I kind of counted on, there was one meeting in Westport, Connecticut that I went to and there was a guy who had been sober only, you know, he's sober five years, which a lot of people don't make it to five years, right? But he made it to five years and he drove this gorgeous, gorgeous uh, reconstructed or whatever you call it um, T Bird convertible <clears throat> that was just awesome. And I knew he made a ton of money, I mean, like millions of dollars. And he had been really broke when he came into AA. So I figured that was what happened when you got sober. And if you could stay sober for five years, you'd be a millionaire and drive a T Bird convertible. Right? I mean, it was just like, well, isn't that the prescription that you know?
0: It's a great line of thinking. I also had a person who was five years sober that became a model for me coming into AA. I remember the year was 1980 and uh, his name was Bobby M. You know, we all go by the first initial of a last name. And he was a, he was not a rich guy. He lived with his mother. He was um, short and round and um, he always saved me a seat. He said, Nancy, there's always a seat for you. Cause at that point, First of all, I did not believe that he had five years sobriety because I didn't believe anybody could be sober for five years, nor do I believe that anybody would want to be sober for five years. It just didn't make any sense to me. I was listening to people that were in um, Maine and Connecticut. We had the chip club in AA. So, you know, you'd get a chip for one month sober. They called it a red chip. Um mm-hmm because it was like the hardest one, you know, it was one like the blood chip. And then there was a chip for two months. And then there was a chip for up to six months. And then they went, they skipped from six months to nine months. I thought that was really unfair. I mean, like, what happened to months seven and eight, like you crawl to get to those months. Anyway, I didn't believe that Bobby M had all that time. But he was like, He was my champion saying, Nancy, there's always a seat for you because I didn't know if I was alcoholic. You know, at 24 years of age, I thought maybe I'm a periodic alcoholic. Maybe I'm a potential alcoholic. I knew I was the child of an alcoholic. And then it occurred to me, I don't know how many months in that all those maybes had alcoholic in the title. (laughs) and I was like all right all right maybe I'm well I was
1: I was thinking that before we got on today you know about our father you know and you know there was a while that I called him an alcoholic I don't know that he was an alcoholic I don't know that he wasn't a heavy drinker okay or what he was what do you think
0: Oh, I, I've always thought that dad was alcoholic.
1: Okay. I thought but he, he was a
0: very high functioning alcoholic.
1: Yeah, he didn't have he wasn't the one like winding up in the holiday and after a blackout. I mean I have blackouts all the time when I drank, right? Yeah. And I, apparently I, you did too. You had a lot of blackouts. But he he didn't have blackouts i mean
0: no he just passed out after having scotch and then
1: yeah but it was a but it wasn't like it was on the road right, right. He, he went to sleep he yeah. you know I
0: mean,
1: and it wasn't like he passed out like in the middle of a sentence on the floor
0: no he, just, he had he, he his bed and, you know or I mean, his early. Is, is scotch on the you know we had he our dad had this one uh, orange chair that was just very luxurious that was his chair and he'd sit in that every night and pass out.
1: Yeah, I'm just saying I don't I don't know that he his life was not like mine, you know, mine was just chaos. Just absolute chaos.
0: And that's kind of part of the whole show too, Bob, is that, you know, there, there's so many different uh, voices and profiles or pictures of the alcoholic, right, and drug addict, that it isn't the falling down, blackout drunk that can't hold a job. I mean, that's what we think is a real alcoholic, and we have to do a whole show on that sometime, you know, but um it's also the really high-functioning very um profitable, um, high paid executive that can be alcoholic. Well, I
1: remember, I mean, the thing that's coming back to me about that is is the um, the the thing that people said was, if alcohol causes you any problems in your life, any major problems in your life, then you're an alcoholic okay it's that simple you don't have to say you don't i didn't black out well i didn't black out i didn't drive drunk well yeah i did drive drunk I, you know that kind of whatever right like yeah. you're saying it doesn't matter if it caused you a problem then you're an alcoholic you know
0: and what i like to say and it's is that most for most drug addicts and alcoholics that i met they didn't have a problem with drugs and alcohol They had a solution with drugs and alcohol. (laughs) And it's when that solution stops working that you really get to the, like, oh. Or when it starts costing you, like you said, if it costs you a job, if it costs you a relationship, if it costs you your self-esteem.
1: If it's a problem for you. Yeah.
0: A little interlude here.
1: Yes, sorry.
0: That's all right. You know, I just realized that it was a uh, a movie that first got me to consider sobriety. Um, do you remember the movie Looking for Mr. Goodbar with Diane Keaton? Sure. Yeah. And she gets all, uh, spoiler alert, anybody that hasn't seen the film that mm-hmm. wants to, um, she gets all sliced and diced at the end of the movie. And she was a special ed teacher by day who went out drinking and roaming the bars at night and brought men home. And that was exactly my life in my early 20s. I was working in special ed. I was going out at night bar hopping and pretty promiscuous. And uh, and I, I just realized, wow, that could be me. I could get totally sliced and diced and killed. and Killed and chilled.
1: Killed and sliced
0: chilled. Sliced
1: and diced, killed and chilled. <laughs>
0: Making a a really serious topic more.
1: More serious.
0: More palatable, you know, just through some of the humor. When I heard stories at the hospital, I knew I couldn't listening to stories of people around the world in 12-step communities. And I started asking them like, would you be willing to tell your story? Like the woman I love and, um, You know, it's coming up as a show with uh, Sister Ellen, which wasn't her real name, but she's a woman that was in the convent and traveled the world um, working in ministry, and she gambled away the convent's money.
1: (laughs) Why the hell no?
0: And And they threatened to send her, as she said, to the rehab for the naughty nuns and oh my god she's just so cute oh there things like that a woman that um told her husband she had alzheimers and um was taking the family money and going to doctor's appointments and treatment when she didn't have alzheimers at all she was just drinking and that's why she couldn't remember anything we're just going to make some of the crazy um easier to to admit to by sharing all the stories so great well thank, thank you. you for doing this with me one more time our newest product is the life hack t-shirt series the number one life hack is sleep on it inspired by a recent episode that i co-hosted with Lori. It's a comfortable and stylish way to remind yourself to take a step back and sleep on it before making any of those impulsive decisions or saying yes to just too many requests. So head over to the You Can Do Merch store today and get your hands on some LTGW merchandise. Not only will you look great, you'll be supporting a great cause. And don't forget while you're there to subscribe to the LTGW podcast for more stories about addiction and recovery. Thank you so much for your support.
1: Do you suppose we'll hear stories about addiction?
0: We might. Oh. Stories about recovery, too?
1: Hmm, but mostly stories about how addiction turns smart, sensitive people into liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores.
0: Liars? And thieves?
1: And gluttons and whores. Oh, liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Liars, Liars, thieves, gluttons, and 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 whores. Oh, my. Liars,
0: thieves, gluttons, and and whores. Oh, my.